Featuring insights and inspirations from the mind of Boogie Triggs, this is Boogology, a Low Tree Studios podcast. My name is Jason. I'm the producer and co-host, and joining me is the man behind the name, a 21-year Air Force veteran and high-level leader and motivator of people, Mr. Boogie Triggs. What's up, man? Welcome in to Thanks, your man. own show. Thank you. Thank you. As always, you open the door very well. Oh, thank you, man. You know, it's uh, I'm, I'm good at it. I was a doorman for many years. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I survived off tips and yeah. it was very sex- successful and lucrative. I was about to say, the thing I like about it is that you don't ask me for tips, but I guess I have to leave a tip this day. You might have to leave a tip because I <laughs> that time I really did open the door well. You did. So we're going to talk about this. <clears throat> and really, this is your story. It's going to be you talking about Boogie and some something that happened to you. Control-Alt-Delete, man. The mm. stroke. Mm. Wow. Because you say that was, a you know, obviously, I think for anyone that would be... Uh, a very big moment in your life. Uh, right. How how did that how did that affect you? You just go through the whole thing. What right. happened? Okay. The, the the steps leading after and how it's affected you now. Okay, well, let me start off by saying because stroke, anything along that line, is very sensitive to a lot of people. I want to make sure I don't offend anyone with things I'm going to say. But this is my own personal travels, my own personal journey as what happened with me. So it happened like on a day I would never imagine it happening, right? I mean, I'm in the military. I've been to war. I've been to combat. All kind of things have, you know, other related issues. Yet I'm at home and it's Christmas Day, Christmas 2003. And we had Christmas dinner and the kids were all gone and my wife, my sister-in-law, and my mother-in-law were at the house and myself. So uh, it's about a little past four in the evening. And I'm on the phone with my mother. She and her sisters, my aunts, had taken their daughters and gone back to Jamaica, you know, to visit. And I was asking my mother, why didn't she take my sister? I have a sister named Annette. Why didn't you take her too? And Next thing I knew, man, I was, I dropped the phone, right? And made a conversation. My wife, she was asleep. I'm sitting on the couch. She was asleep on the couch with her head on my lap. I dropped the phone and I was trying to pick, pick the phone up and somebody was hitting me in the face and I thought it was my wife. So I hit her in the head. I'm like, hey, you slapped me. She's like, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. So I'm trying to grab the phone with my left hand because it all happened on the left side of my body. And again, unbeknownst to me, this is going on. So I'm sitting down and I'm trying to grab the phone, you know, and I, I was in pretty good shape. I'm, I mean, I'm 6'3", I was about 245, 250, lived in the gym, right? So I was in pretty good shape, body fat between 8 and 10%. So I, I was okay. At any rate... Um, when, when I was trying to grab the phone, my wife had actually picked the phone up and told my mom, we call my mom, mommy. That's what grandchildren and everybody call her mommy. So she says, mommy, he's going to call you back. Something's not right. So uh, she's talking to my mom, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law are standing over me. Well, I don't like that because it made me feel weak. So literally I stood up and pushed him away. And they were asking me, why are you talking funny? I said, I'm not talking funny. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm talking to my mom, little patois come out, whatever. But no, I said, I'm not talking funny. I'm good. So 
I walk and they're talking about my face is drooping. I'm like, my face isn't drooping. So I go to the bathroom. I use the bathroom. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, nothing wrong with my face, man. So you know what? I'm going to drive myself to the hospital. That's me. I walk out. I sit on my bed. I start putting my shoes on. Next thing I know, this white guy in my bedroom is holding my hand, pulling my hand away. And he goes, do you know where you are? I said, yeah, I'm in my bedroom. What the hell are you doing in my bedroom? <laughs> He's like, do you know what day it is? I said, yeah, it's Christmas. What in the hell are you doing in my bedroom, man? He was like, can you squeeze my hand? So I said, I said yeah. So he had my right hand. I looked at it and I squeezed it. And he said both at the same time. So I pulled my left hand over to squeeze it with the right hand. And he said, did you feel me touching you? And I looked and he was actually holding my right hand. I couldn't feel it. But I can still move it at, at that time. So he said, has his face always drooped like that? I said, my face isn't drooping. You know, I'm in straight denial the whole time. So anyway, um, I, w I was right in the middle of it. I'm in the thick of things. Unfortunately, the, the ambulance was there like within five minutes, you know, because where, where it was Air Force Base, on base, there's only one ambulance there on base, and they were having dinner at a colleague's house four houses up the street. So they just jumped in the rig and backed up, and there I was. So um, if, if you don't believe, I believe. That was divine intervention. That was God grabbing me by the by the nape of the neck and say, "Hey, you need to get you need to get yourself um in line." So they were there, and with a stroke, response to the stroke is is most critical. You know, the longer the obstruction is there, the blockage of the blood to the brain is there, the more damage. So all in all, they got me, put me on a gurney, took me to the hospital. Uh, I was paralyzed um, for about 15 days. So the whole left side of the body's gone. Then I started getting tingling sensation left left side of my body. So I remember laying, let's go back a little bit. I remember laying in a hospital on a gurney, on a gurney, I'm sorry, an emergency room. And it's packed. It's all kind of people in the emergency room. So I'm, I'm on the gurney. My wife is standing there holding my hand. Friends of ours, Mike Hicks, his wife, Octavia Hicks, were, were there with us. Uh, there was a guy laying next to me, and he was in a bad kind of way. So I remember looking up in the air, and I said, you know, Lord, if, if I can't walk anymore, I just ask, allow me to retain my faculties and my ability to speak, because I think those are my two strongest attributes. Immediately after having that thought, that that conscious prayer with, with God, the guy next to me flatlined. So a whole team ran over there to, to tend to him. They pulled the curtain, and it was ruckus happening over there. Somebody jumped up on the, the gurney with him, and they literally kicked the curtain up, and my wife grabbed my hand real tight and squeezing, and the tears are coming out of my eyes because she's like, that could be me. So my next prayer to God was like, okay, Lord, I don't need all that I ask you for. Just don't let me die. And the guy flatlined. And all the chaos just stopped and said, call it. Like you see in the movie, it was just that, call it. I'm like, wow. So 
when I'm in, when I'm sitting in my room and I start to get the tingling sensations and everything, and I start feeling some um, relevance coming back to my body, right? The neurologist came in and I asked the neurologist, say, hey, look, I'm moving my hand, my left hand, I'm moving it. And when, when is everything going to come back? So he grabs my chart, he looks at it and takes the x-ray and puts it on the wall and calls his colleague in and they're standing there and then they start touching me all over the left side, pin, you know, with a, a pin poke. And the guy's like, can you feel this? I say, yeah. He said, can you feel that? Yeah. He said, okay, make a fist. How about your toes? I said, yeah. I said, but I really can't feel it all the way. I just feel that there's something there. So when's it coming back? So this is where the whole thing turned real ugly for me. And I had a decision to make. He said, I don't think you quite understand. See that x-ray up there? That's the x-ray of a paralyzed man. You shouldn't be doing this. And I was like, no, I'm moving. You see me moving. And so his colleague goes, okay, do me a favor. Make a fist. So I made a fist. And he said, now make another fist. And I made two fists. And he brought them together, right? And he said, in theory, that is the size of your brain. He said, that's the size of your brain in theory. I said, okay. He said, I pull one away. I pull one away, he said, and that's how much your brain is dead. That's when it got real ugly for me. However, comma, being the optimist that I am, I said, well, no problem. You don't even use 10% of your brain, so I don't need that much. So when am I getting this back? And a guy said, you don't realize we can't explain why you are still moving. And I said, well, maybe it's not yours to understand because God got this figured out, so don't worry about it. When can I leave? So a day later, they checked me out of the hospital. I never went to any physical therapy. I never went to any speech therapy. Uh, I just told myself, I will define a stroke. A stroke will not define me. So this is my definition of a stroke. Okay. Uh, it was scary because Luther Vandross, right, and Barry White, two prominent singers, you know, had died at the same time that I I suffered a stroke. So it was like, wow, why me? And when I come in contact with people, they'll say, man, dude, you're, you're blessed. I'm like, yeah, I know I am. Right. Um, the the biggest challenge for me was doing exactly like I always say to control alt delete. The biggest challenge for me was now to understand who I am, right? Because somebody I just had a reset, I had a reboot on my brain, right? So it took me two months to get taste back, and I love to cook. So what I did was I took all my spices, I got Q tips. I dip a Q-tip in water and dip it in the spice and I put it in my mouth. However my mouth responded, that is what that flavor would be. Mm. So I try to get the flavors that like each other together. And sometimes I, I do good. Other times the wife want to punch me in the throat. But it was like, hey, she was my guinea pig. And, you know, it worked out. So it took two months. And then it took me during that time to really understand who I am because I was used to being the Superman, you know. I'm I'm in the gym, man, benching three, four, five hundred pounds. I'm, I I want to do that again. 
I couldn't. So then I'm fighting with the Air Force to stay on active duty, you know, because now I'm a wounded warrior. Even though I wasn't wounded in battle, I'm a wounded warrior. I'm still wearing a uniform. And um, I'm, I'm fighting with them. My wife, any way it went, she was okay with it. If I had to separate, they give me a severance, she'll be okay with that. I wasn't. I, I was selfish. I was like, hey, nobody made me come in. Nobody's going to make me get out. I'm going to get out on my terms. So that, again, was a motivator for me. And, and I pushed. I pushed. I was on convalescent leave for roughly, they had me scheduled for six months. So I started fighting to come back to work in three months. You know, I still get on a treadmill and walk, and my left leg would give out every now and then, and I, I would stumble. But I'm like, no, this is not going to define me. I'll define it. So at the fifth month of convalescent leave, they say, okay, if I can pass the PT test, I can come back to work. So the PT test consisted of a mile and a half run, timed mile and a half run, um, X amount of push-ups and X amount of sit-ups. And then you get an overall score from that. So for my age group, when I did the PT test, I blew it away 100%. And they were like, wow, I didn't see that coming. So they allowed me to come back to active duty, which still I had to learn who I was because my thought process had changed. My emotions had changed. You know, sometimes I'll just be mad for no reason. or I might start crying for no reason, right? Because all of that has been jumbled. And it it took a toll, not just on my family, but on me. Because I'll be sitting around them and I want to be around them, but then I don't. And it happens like in, in, in spur of the moments, you know? So I, I had to get up and, re- and remove myself from that time because I didn't want to invade their their comfort. And my wife wouldn't understand that. She, she would want to push me and say, stay here. And it's like, no, I, this is not comfortable to me. Then I'd go around people and I couldn't be around large crowds of people because they made me feel uncomfortable. It's like, I didn't feel I know them. And, and you know, I'm, I'm very social, right? I'm, I'm, I'm out there, right? Just, I became almost an introvert, you know, and thank God that she did challenge me or I wouldn't have broken out of that. So the thing is, again, to go back to the the initial purpose, when you go through a traumatic event like that and it affects your brain, right, your hard drive, and you have to go through a lot of learning of who you are. And people may still see the outer shell as being the same, but you're not. I mean, when the doc told me I'd go back to the gym, first thing I did, I go under the bench, I put 135 pounds on the bench, do it 10 times. I put 225 on the bench, do it 10 times. I put 315 on the bench, do it 10 times. I say, okay, I'll stop there. Because the left arm was still kind of tingly, but I had still had power. I was happy. So when I go back to the doc, he says, so you went to the gym? I say, yeah. He says, so what do you do? I said, well, you know, I did 315 10 times. I was happy with that. Before I could finish that statement, he was like, no, yelling at me. You can't do that. Your heart cannot take that kind of stress. I was like, but can I do push-ups? He said, yeah. I said, how many can I do? He said, as many as you want. I said, okay, doc. We, we're going to go ahead 
you know, and, and do a little study here. Okay. I said, basically, I'm going to say my feet on the ground, my arms on the ground, and I'm in a push-up position, right? And I said, so you telling me, in theory, that's 86% of my body weight. I can do that as many times as I want to. He said, yes. I said, but I can't do my body weight 10 times. He said, no. I said, that don't work for me, Doc. So what's the heaviest I can go? He said, 50 pounds. For a person that was a gym junkie that liked to feel that workout pain, that was hard for me. So basically, I did what I didn't want to do. I, I always said throughout my life, I was running a race with a fat guy, and I was winning. I was keeping him behind. But the stroke, I had sat down, and I allowed not only for the fat guy to catch up to me, but to take over me. And after that, he's hanging around me all the time now. So I'm I'm not as as aggressive as determined as I once was. Uh I just know that I'm a different person and I had to get used to that person that guy that I am. So how did it change you in in a positive way having that re restart? I mean there's times when lots of people want to restart. Come on, man. A bomb went off in my head, and I'm here. I don't think there's anything that could be more positive than that. And I'm not just here, but I have to tell people I had a stroke, and they're surprised. You know, they're shocked. Like, what? You? I'm like, yeah. I've had people question me, bro. I don't believe it. I'm like, hey, I, I got full proof facts here. And uh, I was so determined not to carry that baggage that when I retired from the Air Force, I wasn't ready to retire. My commander came into me and he told me, he said, listen, I can't make you retire, but my job is to make warriors, to fight wars. And he said, you can't fight anymore. So I think it'd be better for everybody involved if you to retire. And I wasn't ready to retire. So I put my retirement out a year out, which pissed a lot of people off and I give a damn. And because it couldn't touch me once I had a retirement date. And uh, I never had a retirement ceremony. I just left. Uh, I became official one July, and I worked until June 27th. Mm. I just left. So I, I pissed a lot of people off, but I didn't care. I did it on my terms. So when, when, you, when, when you ask how did that motivate me positively, I still have things that I can do on my terms. You know, I I like the fact that, okay, I can't run miles anymore. Heck, I can't even, I can't even run. I, I tell people I stopped running because ice cubes are falling on my drink, right? <laughs> so, right. But um, I, I can't run. I got feet, foot problems, knees problems, you know, ankles and hips now. So I just persevere. Life is an evolutionary process. As we evolve, we got to deal with the person that we are at that time. We will all be different an hour from now than we are right now because of the conversations we have, the people we have, and the lessons that we learn. By applying those, then we show that we're different because the difference between wisdom and knowledge is knowledge is power. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. So long as you apply the knowledge as you gain it, you will in turn, people are like, hey, there's something different about you. Well, thank you. 
yesterday was a different day, you know? Yeah. So I, I have to stay positive. I have, I have to stay upbeat because there still are things I'm finding out about myself. And like I said, that stroke happened in 2003. What was that? 15 years, 16 years ago, coming up December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. So do what do you have for adv- advice for anybody that's going through, not necessarily a stroke, but anything that's <clears throat> sort of challenging? It seems like you made your own rules. You didn't really allow yourself to be diagnosed uh, by the doctors. You decided to take it into your hands with the exception of, you know, bench pressing your body weight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what advice do you have for people who, it doesn't even have to be something as, as severe as a stroke, but that are going through some struggle right. in life, physically, mentally. Well, here's the thing. The thing is, is you are your own yardstick. You know where you've been, where you're at, and where you want to be. Don't let society drive you. Don't let society dictate you. Do not let society define you. You define yourself, okay? So everything that you do is based upon who you are because the only person that you're in competition with is the beast within, your own beast within, okay? So the thing is, we all go through some type of adversity, right? Some of us allow that adversity to define us, while others merely see it as a, an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to become better. Mm-hmm. It is based upon perspective. What's your perspective on it? For me, I just knew that life is continuing, I'm going to be in it, and I'm not going to be in it broken. I'm not going to be in it destroyed. As I said, as I was alluding to, I, I retired for a year and a half before I even had to go to the VA to sign up for disability. That's because the wife got tired of all the things that was happening with me, and I'm like, I didn't like the whole concept of saying I'm disabled when I got brothers and sisters you know, in uniform that had been out to war and came back with actual physical disabilities, you can see, I'm like, no, that's more for them. Then other things started happening. I started having other issues, and they were like, no, you need to go see the VA. So I still look at that as me not accepting society's opinions. I still say we all have issues, and as long as we look for a way to counteract those or combat those, and continue to persevere in, in life, we can get through anything. It's just when we decide to throw in a towel and lay down and say, hey, like the fat guy, right? <laughs> to say, hey, this is uh, this is it. Then life, life is much more valuable than just saying this is it. Why is that? What, do you, what, what makes you say that? Well, look at it. Okay. It, it, it takes time and life for things to happen. You've been on this planet for a very long time, and so have I, yet we only met two years ago. True. So it took all the time we've been here for us to finally come in contact with each other. So there are people that I'm gonna come in contact with each other that may not be for another 10 years. I'm looking forward to meet them. Mm. I'm looking forward to encountering them, you know? And I hope that, People look forward to encountering me. That's all it's about. I, I, I laughed with a guy one time. I told him, I said, hey, man, look, we're all souls from heaven down here on vacation. Can you imagine going on vacation, man, to an exotic place and then getting there and leaving after you've been there for like months, right? 
leaving, coming back home, and then running to your neighbor, and your neighbor saying, where you been? I was over in this exotic place. Oh, I was there too. You'd be disappointed that you didn't run into them. So we're down here right now on vacation from heaven. I'd be disappointed if we get back up to heaven and I find out I didn't, you were down here and I didn't run into you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's cool. So, yeah. But at any rate, it's like, I think the, the makeup of our life is the makeup of the people that, that we encounter, the people that we allow in our lives. And uh, I, I like people. I just had to get to know who I am after the control alt delete. Right. You think people tend to, in crisis, turn away from people? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the easiest thing. I mean, Jason, think of it. The easiest thing is to find anything negative, right? When you go to when you go to buy a car, a house, or something, first thing is going to be like, "Hey, that look nice." But then you're going to start scrutinizing on everything negative that you find. Yeah. Right. So the first thing that sticks out more than anything is the, is the negative. You have to find something good in everything negative. There isn't a negative thing you can come up with that I could not find something good in. I challenged a guy one time. He said, okay, Boogie, how old is your son? I said, he's 15. All right, your 15-year-old son got drunk with his friends. Then he stole the keys to your bimmer and went out and crashed it. All right, find something good in that. I said, okay, is he dead? All right, yeah, he's dead. Okay, did he kill anybody else? Like, nah, man, it's not that easy. I said, it really is. There are children that are stillborn. There are children that haven't lived, right? Yet I've had my son for 15 years. I'm going to rejoice in those 15 years instead of mourn the time I'm not going to have with him. See, people get too caught up on, I'll never see him mm-hmm. graduate. I'll never see him get married. No. They mourn the future. Yes. I'm so, rejoice in the time that I had with him. Yeah. You know, so uh, I I just always look for good. You can find something good in everything. Now, I'm not saying that there's good in everybody. I'm just saying everybody has the potential to do something good. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I, I don't want to give anybody that's infamous any type of credibility on on this program. Yet I will say you could find the worst person you can imagine. And you got to and challenge yourself to find something good in it. So you can say, oh, that was a mass murderer. Okay. How many people did they kill? They killed 68. Okay. But they didn't kill 70. Somebody got away. Ah, but they killed 68. They didn't kill 70. Now, that's good. What would have been better is that they never killed anyone. So I don't look for right and wrong. I look for good and better. Okay. So find something good. Search for the good, man. After that, you'll start seeing that. Everywhere there is a silver lining. Not like I say, everybody's not good, but everybody has the potential to do something good. So what was the best thing to wrap up control all delete? What was the best thing that you found out of something bad, seemingly bad, that happened to you in two thousand three? My resilience, man. My resilience. I mean the love for my family. My son got mad. <laughs> He got mad because he figured I was trying to hide it from him. I'm like, dude, I didn't know it was happening, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and the kids, the, the, thank God the kids were not there um, when it happened because 
say when I when I came home finally, they never seen me in the hospital or anything like that. When I came home finally, they saw me up and about and being stubborn, you know, as as ever, and just trying to push through it. So, just showing me that I am my limit. The sky's not the limit. You are your limit. You limit yourself based upon anything that you subject yourself to. You can say, oh, well, I can't do this because. I can't do that because. Now, when the doctor told me I couldn't lift 300 pounds anymore, he told me I could lift 50. I'm sure that's something I could have done, man, to go in there and do some type of cardio, super max workout, whatever. But no, I wanted to feel that heavy weight. So I turned against and now my body's like, sorry, <laughs> should listen. <laughs> Well, that's good, man. Well, you know, I personally have not been through anything like that. I've not known a lot of people that have. Um, Pretty remarkable, remarkable that you that you have. I know a good friend of mine went through something similar. Her name's Tina Greenwood, and uh, lucky we we still have the two of you. And Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for sharing your story. I think it's going to give some people some inspiration, and and hopefully they just keep on working hard. You know, I think people easily can fall into. With all, with all the right in the world, they fall into sort of this uh, victim mentality, right. and uh, that's a dangerous place to, to end up. Well, there, there's three type of people in any type of incidents, right? You have your victim, mm-hmm. you have your survivor, you have your warrior. Right. Right? You put that warrior heart on, that put, put that in your heart, it's nothing you, can, it's nothing you can't do. Yeah. So there you go. Put that war, warrior in your heart. Pretty good, man. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, control, yeah. Alt, Delete. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Boogology. This was a fun one. And remember, know yourself before anyone else does. That's right.